Well, good morning, Restoration Church. I'm Jim Herring, filling in for Pastor Kevin today. This morning's message brings to a conclusion what has been referred to as the Upper Room Discourse. These are the words Jesus spoke to his disciples in an upper room of a building located somewhere in beautiful downtown Jerusalem. It took place uh, during the Passover, the night before Jesus was crucified. Uh, this discourse, discourse is recorded for us in the Gospel of John, chapters 13 through 16, which Pastor Kevin has been covering. And I will just tack, tack on verses 25 through 33 to finish that discourse. It's safe to say that for the disciples, that night was the worst night possibly of their entire lives. The messianic expectation that they had placed upon Jesus was that he would be the conquering hero to throw off the yoke of Roman oppression and establish God's kingdom on earth. And of course, they would rule with him. And that expectation was collapsing before their very eyes. Instead of a king and a kingdom, they were looking at the horrific possibility of the cross and the grave. And with the death of their Messiah, so dies their hopes and their dreams. That night, they would experience a, a emotional upheaval of epic proportions. They would be experiencing sorrow and grief and confusion and anxiety and fear of the unknown and terror of what was known. They would experience loss and despair and sense of loneliness and defeat. They would end up doing the very thing that they swore they wouldn't do. And before the night was over, they would all be running for their lives in fear. It's gut-wrenching gut to watch grown men cry like babies, but that was the night for tears and sorrow, pain, and regret. And yet, and yet these are the apostles. These are the men, the foundation upon which Jesus would build his church that would stand the test of time for over 2,000 years. How would Jesus get them through this hour of darkness? And that's not just an academic question to be left for armchair theologians to debate. It's very relevant, very personal. It, it reaches into our very hearts and minds. We too are going through at times an hour of uh, emotional upheaval. Maybe it's been brought upon us now by the pandemic. It's been with us for months now. It's taken a heavy toll of human lives in our collective psyche. And even aside from the pandemic, maybe you've been wrestling with and struggling with relationships, with, with destructive habits, with, with work, with finances, with uh, health and aging. All of these can bring us to a point of despair in our lives where we can cry out, God, how will you deliver me? How can you help me? How can you bring me through this time of tribulation and trial? So the way Jesus was able to help them is relevant to how he can help us today. Let me say right off the top, the way Jesus got them through this difficult time was the fact that Jesus loved them and he loved them unconditionally. In the very first verse of this discourse, going back to John 13 and verse 1, it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Jesus was loving them unconditionally. 
And everything he said and did in that upper room, and in fact, everything that took place in his ministry to them was predicated on his unconditional love. He did not turn the upper room into hell's kitchen. He did not use this as occasion to rip them up one side and down the other and to, to tell them what a great disappointment they have become and that they are no longer deserving of his love and that he was leaving them because they were such failures and they would wash his hands of them and leave and do a pull in Osama bin Laden and sneak out of town and let someone else go to the cross and leave them to deal with the consequences. No, Jesus was there to love them through this. Even when he had to speak about uh, their failures, about denial and betrayal and desertion, he did so not to hurt their feelings. He did that to help them so that when those things happened, they would remember and believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he could see the future, that he had spiritual foresight, and that he knew before it happened that they would fail him. And he chose to be there anyway in spite of their failures. I think one of the most important things that you and I need to experience in our lives, especially at times of great emotional turmoil, is that you are loved. And you are loved unconditionally. So then how does Jesus show his love? And we'll look at three ways that Jesus expressed his love in our text this morning, beginning with uh, verse 25 of our text in John chapter 16. Jesus said these words, I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. You see, Jesus had a lot to tell them, but they were not able to bear uh, spiritual truths at the level that they could be uh, qualified for. So he resorted to metaphor, to figures of speech, to talk about vine and branches and shepherds and sheep and women in labor and childbirth. All of these things were a way to speak truth into their hearts, but they were so ignorant. They were in a spiritual fog bank. They needed spiritual in insight so much. When Jesus washed their feet on that night, they didn't understand what he was doing. And he told them that, you don't understand this now, but you will. You see, they didn't understand the role of the servant leader. And this was part of their problem of accepting Christ as the true Messiah. They had this expectation of the conquering hero. And there were verses in the Old Testament that spoke to them. But there were also verses to speak to the suffering servant. That the Messiah would be both. They saw a king, but they needed a savior. And before the crown, there would be a cross. But they were left in spiritual darkness. When he said he was leaving them, and they know the way that he was going, they didn't understand that at all. They didn't know where he was going. They didn't know how to get there. Perhaps a few summary verses would suffice to expose their ignorance. Verses 16 through 18 in this same chapter of John chapter 16, which was spoken to us last Sunday by Pastor Jake from State Farm. He said this, a little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while and you will see me. So some of the, his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us a little while and he, you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And because I'm going to the father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. 
that's a, just a, a summary statement of their, the depth of their spiritual ignorance. They just couldn't grasp spiritual truths and reality. So what was Jesus going to do to help them gain this kind of spiritual insight that they so badly needed? Well, the next two verses give us a hint to this. In chapter 16, verses 26 and 27, he says, In that day you will ask me, ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. In the Old Testament economy, in the Old Covenant, God designated certain men to speak and act on behalf of the people. For example, Moses went up on the mountain to be with God and to receive Torah, the law. But while he was on the mountain, where were the people? They were practicing social distancing. They stayed away from the mountain. And when Moses came down from the mountain, he had to put on a face mask. Well, not for the reasons we're doing today. But Moses was on the mountain. He was on the inside. He was receiving spiritual insight where everyone was left in spiritual darkness. They weren't allowed in as Moses was. Consider also the high priest. Once a year, he was uh, acting on behalf of the people. He took the blood of the animal and brought it into the Holy of Holies and sprinkled it on the mercy seat. But while he was on the inside, where was everyone else? They were left on the outside. They were not allowed in. They couldn't gain this kind of spiritual perception that the high priest gained for being inside. In the New Testament, Jesus is offering something better. He's a better high priest. He offers a better entrance. In Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, we read this. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in time of need. Do you know how to gain spiritual insight? Is to be drawn closer to God, to draw near, to come to the inside, to see what's going on within the heart of God in a vital, intimate relationship with himself. Let me give this illustration. Let's say you have a young boy who is standing on a sidewalk, peering into a storefront window. And a man comes up to him and he says, son, what are you doing? And he says, well, I'm new in town. I've never been inside this store. The store is locked. I can't go inside. So I'm looking through the store window to get a glimpse of what might be inside. And the man says, well, from your perspective, from where you're standing, you're not going to see very much of what the store has to offer. There are five floors above you and another floor below you. Let's do this. I have the key. I'll open the store. I'll let you in. I'll take you up all the stores, all of the levels, and you can see for yourself what's on the inside. And the little boy says, you would do that for me? And he says, well, of course I, I can. My father owns the store. And as the son of the chief executive officer, it's our pleasure. And he invites the boy in to see what the store is like from the inside. We're like that boy. We are looking on the outside, trying to grasp truth that can only be gained from being on the inside. 
And so when Jesus paves the way for us, we can now enter into the Holy of Holies, the very presence of God that we might know and experience for ourselves, God's grace and his mercy, and to know that we're forgiven. All because God loves us in the same way he loves his son. For as the father invites his son, certainly because of love and because of his personhood, into the presence of the Godhead, so he invites those who love him as well. We are invited to come in, and this is where we gain spiritual truths, a grasp of the infinite as, as we can in our relationship with Jesus Christ. So if you're standing on the outside, peering through, so to speak, this glass window with a distorted lens of your own sinful nature and the world system, you're not going to get a good picture, an accurate picture. Only when you come inside and enter into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, then you begin to grasp spiritual truths. He gave them a little taste of the potency of spiritual insight in the next two verses. He says, I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. You see what just happened? They had thoughts and questions that were running around in their hearts and minds, but they were afraid to ask him. So Jesus had spiritual insight into their hearts and minds. He knew what was on their hearts. And so he answered the question before they asked them. And he did so in plain speech. And this sparked this insight, this, this ray of hope. Oh, I see. You do have spiritual insight. You can see into our hearts. You know what's going on in our minds and the questions that we have for you. And you do have that spiritual insight. <clears throat> but that was just a taste. It was not sufficient enough to carry them through this night. As Jesus said, do you now believe? <clears throat> Behold, the hour is coming indeed, it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone, yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. <clears throat> In this statement, in this verse, Jesus is pointing out to another vital a way in which God loves us. He loves us by bringing his presence to bear upon our loneliness. Who is truly alone in this passage that he just spoke? Are, is he alone, even though they will be scattered and leave him alone? Is he truly alone? The answer is no. He says, uh, I am not alone, for the Father is with me. God's presence overcomes our feelings of loneliness. The one who is truly alone is the one who is running away from God. He's running into spiritual darkness, into emptiness, into hopelessness, and a world without God, without meaning, without purpose. And it brings in feelings of emptiness, loneliness, and alienation. God was, Jesus was promising God's presence to help us overcome our feelings of loneliness. I fell in love with a young lady named Jan Rupert and became engaged to her. And right immediately after our engagement, I left her and went to Vietnam. And this was in 1970 before Facebook and Skype. I literally did not see her again for another year. But during that absence, during that time, uh, Jan sent me over 400 letters, love letters. And I, I, I appreciated the letters. I read them over and over again. 
But when it was all said and done, when my tour of duty was over, I didn't write her a letter and said, you know, we don't have to meet anymore. I like your letters so much, they're enough for me. We don't have to be together. You know, your presence is not needed. Your letters are good enough. You know, God's word is his love letter to us. And he knows that we need to be uplifted, and we need to be instructed, and we need to be inspired by his word. That's where we grow and our faith blossoms. But he also knew that wasn't to be a substitute for his presence. His word is coupled by his presence. He goes with us to inspire us by his word. His presence always accompanies us. We enjoy the presence of his intimate, affectionate communion and fellowship. This is what helps us get through our feelings of alienation and loneliness, especially at times when we are feeling hopeless. He closed with this last verse in verse 33 of John chapter 16. He says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He loved them by giving the peace of mind of knowing they can live a victorious life even in the midst of tribulation, even in our darkest hour. We can still have peace knowing everything is going to turn out all right. We can have peace knowing that there's ultimate victory. Yes, they were going to experience defeat that night. They were going to experience loss and regret. But initial defeat, does not, initial loss does not mean ultimate defeat. On October 6th of 2013, the Seahawks lost to the Indianapolis Colts 34-28. On December 28th, or excuse me, December 8th, they lost to the San Francisco 49ers. The score was 19-17. In that same month, they lost again to the Arizona Cardinals, and the score was 17-10. But on February 4th, 2014, they went on to defeat the Denver Broncos 43-8 to to win the Super Bowl. So they knew what it was like to lose games, but to win the championship. Wouldn't it have been great if Pete Carroll could say, guys, I know you're feeling defeated. You, were just, uh, you just lost to the Colts or to the 49ers or to the Cardinals. But take heart, I can see into the future. I know how the season's going to turn out. I know we're going to the Super Bowl. I know we're going to... Uh, defeat the Denver Broncos and win the Super Bowl. Now go out there and fight like champions. But well, whatever Pete Carroll could do uh, to motivate them, that's not one of them. See, Pete Carroll, just like everyone else, did not know the outcome until it already happened. It was not possible for him to have that kind of spiritual foresight, that kind of insight into the present and the future. But Jesus did. He knew what was going to happen. He could see beyond the cross. He could see beyond their failure and their defeats. And when he came to them that night, he said, in this world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I win. I know the outcome. The outcome is victory. Yes, they were going to suffer times of defeat, but the victory was theirs in Jesus Christ. In their greatest, darkest hour, when they felt the most significant loss, Jesus was going out and scoring the greatest victory. The cross and the grave was the way to bring victory over sin and death. The resurrection proved that. And that victory he shares with us. We are on his winning team. So how does Jesus love us? 
He loves us by giving us spiritual insight. And to do that, he has to bring us closer to God. He loves us by providing God's presence in the midst of our feelings of loneliness and alienation. He loves us by giving us the peace of mind of knowing that we can begin to experience victory in our lives even when we're going through our time of tribulation. I don't know about you, but uh, when you're watching your favorite team and they come from behind to win the game in the last seconds, uh, it's, it's uplifting, uh, it's exhilarating. Could you imagine being behind so many points and in the last three seconds, Russell Will Will Wilson uh, throws the bullet to uh, Tyler Lockett for the touchdown. What do you do when that happens? Do you sit in your chair and you clap your hands? Thank you, good job Seahawks, pass the popcorn. No, you're up on your feet, you're cheering, you're shouting, hallelujah, uh, you're celebrating the great victory. I'd like to close this with a victory shout out to God's love for us. It's found in Romans chapter eight, uh, verses 31 through 39. Paul says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed uh, interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written? For your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Praise God. Go team. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for loving us unconditionally and sending your own only begotten Son to this earth to take upon himself a body of flesh and bones of human nature to experience what we have got, gone through to be tempted in all things yet without sin and laying down his life willingly on the cross and being buried and being raised from the, the dead on the third day he showed us the real path of victory lord i pray for all of us who are going through our hour of darkness our trials and the feelings of loneliness and despair and failure that you would lift us up by your love, which is so unconditional and so inspiring. I pray that you will give us greater spiritual insight to understand and see your plan for our lives, that when we feel that we are alone, that we will know that you are with us forever. And we would feel defeated because of some of the mistakes that we have made, that we have acted and spoken badly, that we know that we are forgiven and that we can continue to walk in victory with you. Lord, I thank you for all of this. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.